Welcome back, episode number 85 of the New York Pinches podcast in partnership with Inside the Rink. I'm your host, Jacob Perkowitz, and I'm alongside my coach, Ben Luca. And as you can see, the Rangers selected with the 23rd pick, Gabe Perot. Josh Hoffman comes on to break it all down. But first, just want to let you guys know to go to insidetherink.com slash ESPN to subscribe to ESPN Plus to watch games and more. And yeah, let's get to it. And we're back. Josh Hoffman, how's it going? Great, dude. What a great, good selection. Good selection. I'm I was getting nervous, and then uh, Minnesota and Philly sort of took care of the a little bit of the early fears, and uh, this is a great pick by the Rangers. I really do think so. Gabe Perot. All so right. The, the, one, the one question that I have, I'll just come out and say, since the – I mean, the only way I was able to watch it is via ESPN, and they the first thing they said right away is his biggest weakness is skating. Yeah. So why is it that every freaking player we draft, the weakness is skating? Well, so the thing is with the guys that are left available, I mean, Oliver Moore would have been your answer to the skating issue for sure. But obviously, we selected really quick before. Perot's talent at this selection um, and his production, the fact that he's a right wing, which we don't have anything of, you take that risk for this kind of player. And it's not that his skating is bad. It's not like he's a, you know, a slug on the ice. He's fine. He was able to keep up with some really good players on the same line as him, and that might be something that we'll go over in a bit. But, like, he could get better. And the fact that he's going to the NCAA instead of going right to the pros with the Rangers, like, he does have the opportunity to really work on that stuff and get stronger in the gym. And, you know, skating is one of the things that you could fix. His And the best thing about him is the fact that his hockey IQ is off the charts. So this is – and, you know, his father was a top-tier NHL player too – uh, this is a kid who will understand what needs to be done, I think, to develop. And the fact that he's not going to be poisoned by the Rangers for at least two years is probably a good bet. And hopefully he can improve the skating because if he does, he'll be a really good threat in the NHL. So if yeah. I can ask, because uh, on and who really knows the value of ESPN's draft rankings that they have, but <clears throat> they had him high on the top of the best available players for a while. So it would appear to me as a layman that he doesn't really follow prospects uh, that he was dropping. Is, is there any particular reason for why he was dropping? Sure. So, like, as you guys mentioned, the skating is a little bit suspect. But the biggest thing I think that's uh, the reason why people might be uh, scared is the fact that he was originally on a really good top line with the rest of the United States guys, including Will Smith, who was drafted, what was it, fourth overall? Yeah. Um, and uh, Ryan Leonard, who was drafted eighth overall. But the cool thing is that when Perot did get away from them, he still produced at a really high degree. So my my draft model that we, I was working on with my boys Chase and Max, Perot was ranked for us to be seventh as well. So this is a guy that, in terms of production, would have been a top ten and maybe even a top five talent in other drafts that aren't as stacked. Um. We have him as a 98% chance to be an NHLer and a 57% chance to be a star in the NHL. Wow. So this is, I mean, once again, that's because of his high level of production. Um, when you score 123, 130 points, whatever it was, you're, the model's going to look favorably on him, even though he did play on a stacked line. So the thing that you worry about is, okay, will his skating not let him beat his high-level talent? And you do worry about how much was it about being on a stacked team, but you know, we'll see what happens when he goes to the college, right? If he's able to make that transition this first year, I'm not saying he needs to be a point per game guy right away, 
But if he shows that he could generate a lot of offense by himself while being one of the younger players in the NCAA, then I think you could sort of stop worrying until you see how he looks like along the pro. But this is a guy that is absolutely worth taking a risk this late in the draft. Totally. So you don't think that uh, there was anyone else on the board that you would say, you know, Um, they should have picked this player. You're, you know, content with this. So the only guy that I would have considered would have been Musty. Um, My model ranks Perot higher than Musty, but even though we include uh, team strengths in our projections, that's just why, like, for example, a guy like Gavin Brindley, who produced really, really well in the NCAA, doesn't rank so high in our model because his team is so, so good in Michigan. Um, Musty did really, really well as well in terms of production on a worse team in a worse situation. So I might have... I would have been okay with Musty as well because there was less of this confounding situation and Musty did get better as the season went along. But you can't blame Perot for being one of the best American players in his age group, right? So I think it's okay to take that risk and say like, look, you know, Perot was a right winger, Musty's a left winger. Let's go in this situation where, you know, if it were up to me and I was using my model, I would go with the position that we're lacking and that would be right wing, absolutely. So Perot could be a really nice fit, definitely. One of my favorite things to do in any draft, whether it's – I mean, I don't even watch the NBA, but I'll watch the NBA draft. I, I watch every draft that I can because I just freaking love drafts. Uh, it's, it's always just really fun to see what the player comparisons are. So so who would your player comparison be for this guy? So I'm actually going to let you guys do this using my model. I'll just walk it through. So what I like to do with my model – is that I don't believe in just saying like, oh, I think I watched this guy. He looks like this to me. If you guys value looking at a player who's in a similar size range, weight range, I could adjust all of that stuff right now on my model while I'm on the phone, uh, while I'm on the laptop, and I could give you a great range. I posted it on Twitter. So from guys that are born a little bit younger than him, so maybe a couple months younger than him, all the way to the end of the draft, and players who produced at a similar nhl e-pace which is like the production in terms of uh you know oh this guy scores in the ohl how how strong of a league is the ohl you multiply that you get your points per game that's like standardized and then in terms of guys who are similar weights and heights some of the best players that are comparable to him include nikolai ehlers william nylander nazim Kadri. like these are some really really good players you know you have jeff skinner as well in terms of guys who busted you know, it would be none other than, you know, Leah Anderson and uh, the other Nylander brother. So, you know, this is a guy that for the most part is with a lot of guys who are not just good NHLers, but, you know, 30 goal scores, 40 goal scores and other top early draft picks. You know, like I said, Nylander, Skinner, Ehlers, they're all very early top 10 picks. You know, Alexander Holtz, who hasn't fully developed in, de- in the New Jersey system yet. Similar type of player, right? Goal-scoring right winger, not the best skater, played on a good team, could probably translate that level of offense. You know, you have Nugent Hopkins, Kadri, you know, early, early draft picks. So the mm-hmm. Rangers really good value at 23. And if you're looking at a right winger, I mean, I don't think he's as good of a skater as William Nylander, but maybe that form of, like, dynamic level of production. I think, you know, when we see what Alexander Holtz becomes, hopefully not with the Devils, hopefully they get rid of him for nothing and he breaks out somewhere else. But that might be a close comparison of a recent draft pick. But if he improves his skating, you know, Nylander being the ceiling would be fantastic. Fantastic. 
Well, uh, you know, something that they brought up and that you mentioned as well is his super high hockey IQ, which uh, which made me wonder because when they said his first negative being, you know, maybe he's skating and then his biggest plus is they said he, he might be the smartest player in the draft. Yeah. Um, which then immediately makes me think of uh, is this guy like, I mean, not that he's going to be at this level necessarily, but is this like a an Adam Fox sort of situation where Adam Fox isn't necessarily the most dynamic fast skater, but because his IQ is so high, he's able to do the thing. Totally possible, right? I mean, it's weird. I think the NHL has been changing a lot. I mean, I mean, look at the hockey that we're watching now compared to even 2017, 2018. Different fucking game, in yeah. my opinion. Right? Different game. So, um, I, it might be harder for forwards to not press that level of offense without a high-speed situation, but you do have some really talented players that have been able to survive without having this high-end speed. Um it's one of you know it's one of those things that we'll have to see. Uh, that's really the biggest risk, right? If he could show that he could still get to the middle of the ice or find himself open a lot as the defense is getting better, as you know he's getting to these harder level leagues and he gets more open. I mean, his father was a brilliant hockey player too, more of a playmaker, right? Also, but really smart guy. Um, you know, this kid might just have it. Um, so if. Once we see if he could get himself open, even though the skating might not be there, he could still be a threat. Once he could, once he shows that he could skate a little bit better, maybe, you know, we could see some really high level talent like Adam Fox. I just think defensemen having more patience on the blue line sure. might give Fox a little bit more of a, you know, safety net. But also there's no, there's nobody really like Fox either. There's a lot of slow defensemen who can't do what Fox does. So yeah. we're always like that kind of guy where not that many forwards could do it, but Maybe he can. Uh, so, yeah, great. Good pick. Good pick for sure. Is he a person that you would be concerned about that could be pushed off the puck? Can he, like, bring the puck uh, into the rough areas? Can he, you know, have that bit of sandpaper to him? Or he's more of, you know, on the outside? I mean, he would be more on the outside. But I, at the same time, that might be because, once again, the guys that are on his line, like Ryan Leonard, I mean, that dude's a fucking menace, right? Like, he's a, unfortunately went to the Caps, but he's the kind of guy who is most like uh, Kachuk in this group of, uh, this age group of players. So, you know, Perot was able to succeed a lot because, you know, Leonard also caused a lot of havoc in front of the net and Perot was able to get him the puck in front of the net too. Um, so I don't think he really needed to be the kind of guy to grind it down because he had a guy to do it for him. But uh, he might not be the best grinding type of player, but you also don't need to be if you're able to be smart with a puck, distribute it quickly, and really start moving it around well and getting open. So, but he he would be a guy that I think you know with Lafreniere on the other wing. Hopefully, if Lafreniere develops as he needs to be and becomes a significant part of this team, like I think they would be a really good comparison because Lafreniere could get to the center, especially if he starts producing. Right, that would probably imply that he's been getting to the middle of the ice and looks better. But he, he doesn't, like, shy away from physical contact, right? Like It's hard to say with the age group that he's playing, right? Like, when he's playing against these other guys or he's playing against some of the weaker NCAA teams, sure, he was able to do well. But over the course of a full season, we got to see, right? If he gets hit once in the NCAA from a guy who's four years older than him, five years older than him, how would he react to that? It's a completely different situation. But in terms of, I mean, look, his like I said, the fact that he's his father was a longtime NHLer, like I think he knows some of the sh things that he needs to do to succeed. 
So I don't think he would have an issue with taking some hits to make a play. The question is if he could end up doing it while still producing at a high level. Now, usually the first thing after every single player is drafted in the first round is when are they going to actually be able to contribute to the team? So would you say his ETA is probably two or three years? I, I guess that's kind of where I would ballpark. It's just so guessing where like college players generally tend to go. So most of the time, you know, it's weird because he was drafted at 23. Usually, if he was drafted seventh overall, everybody would be saying he'd be playing one year in the NHL and he would come uh, in the college and then he would come right to the NHL. But the Rangers could actually afford the luxury maybe of having him. Look, if he ends up producing over a point per game year one, the Rangers will be like, yo, you got to come over, right? Because they need a right wing and this is a kid who could give them a lot of talent for cheap. But if, he, you know, if, if they see him developing, I would say probably two years. Because even, you know, even guys like Nylander took a couple of years to make the NHL. Nikolai Ehlers needed to develop a couple of years too. I would say two years most likely. Three years if, you know, for some reason, the Rangers just don't feel that he's ready at the moment. But I, I would probably put my money on two years in college, probably maybe a couple games in Hartford if, it need, if he needs to. And then he'd probably be in the NHL by the time he's 21 years old. So Obviously, they're very different, uh, you know, draft. Uh, classes and, and rankings, but you mentioned Lafreniere, um, who was also billed as somebody that was, uh, you know, very high hockey intelligence, very smart player, uh, maybe not the best skater. Uh, so right. just hopping on that. It, what, and, and then obviously we've seen Lafreniere kind of struggle to bring his intelligence with the speed of the game and whatnot. Um, is there any sort of comparison you can do between the two of them as far as their skills and their weaknesses kind of seeming at first to be similar? So, you know, it, it, it's definitely tough because, once again, the different leagues that they were playing, like one of the knocks that you could have arguably made with Lafreniere and his production is the fact that the QMJHL isn't always the best league. And you could see that with the lack of Q guys being selected every year in the draft. Right. Um, but the thing with Lafreniere at the same time, like, I mean, we talked about it all the time. It's, it's hard to produce without power play minutes. He technically has the same amount of five on five points, even though he looks really bad on some nights doing it as Mika Zibanejad. So it's tough, but, you know, the other thing with Lafreniere is that, you know, Lafreniere right now would probably be the same age that Gabe Perot would be coming in for his first game in the NHL. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it might take, I, I remember thinking about this when actually the Rangers selected Kako. So this is a slight tangent where, you know, everybody was saying that Kako would be so much more NHL ready than Jack Hughes because of his size and his ability to hold onto the puck. But I think now as, you know, Obviously, this is a little bit revisionist, but as the NHL has started to change and become a little bit more open where guys like, you know, Kako being able to push guys off the puck, he needs to not be an 18-year-old kid, right? He needs to get bigger. He needs to gain a lot of muscle. And I, you know, and we've seen that as his defensive numbers and his possession numbers have gotten better as he's progressively gotten heavier and stronger, right? Yeah. So for Lafreniere, because he's not the best skater, but he's also not like this huge puck possession guy, I'm not really sure where the movement could go to become a better player. It would have to come, like we mentioned, to start challenging the middle of the ice. I mean, we've seen flashes of skill. We know he wants to do it. He might just need more minutes to do it and a little bit of empty space. I mean, I mean, I could go on another little tangent regarding, you know, the analytics uh, community, right? Like right now, a lot of it is super shot-based. It seems like the Rangers really do go for the high danger shot and let all these other small ones that might eventually lead to higher strength rebounds. I mean, they were last place in rebounds last year. 
Yeah. You know, like just getting halfway to a little bit of a better rebound, all of a sudden I think a lot of Rangers players might have better, you know, blue, like better blue bars on the evolving wild my, uh, model because they would be generating a lot of shots. So maybe, you know, Lacnay could be the key to that, right? He's a guy that could maybe be successful in front of the net and hopefully that works out. So you would say that at best, I, I know it's kind of uh, what I'm saying is repetitive, but at best it's like a Nylander type. Would you say most likely like a, you said that second line player? So Gabe, Gabe Perot, in my opinion, is likely to be one of those guys that are top six or bust. You know, you won't, you wouldn't want him probably on the bottom six. I mean, unless he could develop into that kind of player, like the super intelligent playmaker, third line guy that could do a little bit of everything, but you'd really be hoping for more of that high level talent. Um, I, I, I want to say Nylander because his production is similar to that, but Nylander is such a faster skater that I can't really tell you that like, okay, this guy's going to be Nylander, right? Right. It's similar guys who weighed the same, same height, same production, similar age group, Nylander and Ehlers, these are, you know, super fast players tend to be like that. I mean, in theory, I mean, Nugent Hopkins is a center, but he, that would be the other comparable that would be like him. You know, Nugent Hopkins isn't a blistering skater and it took him a while to end up to this elite level of hockey production, but he was always a pretty good producer in general, just never this hundred point guy that he was this year. So maybe Nugent Hopkins on the wing would be a really good comparison actually for Gabe Perot. Um, maybe, you know, I don't think he'll ever be a hundred point guy, especially since he was drafted by the Rangers. If he was drafted by, you know, Tampa Bay probably, but uh, um, other than, you know, I, I would say maybe a guy like uh, Nugent Hopkins would be, would be a little bit better, even though they're not the same position. Yeah. I mean, you know, for the most part, I think, you, you know, you can't really be upset with this pick. Um, you know, like I said, you might have wanted Musty. That would be preference for the Rangers, you know, at this time. Like, these are very similar producing type players, at least according to the model. So, um, you know, them going for the position that they need makes a lot of sense when, when the guys uh, scored 130-something points. Is there anyone else going into day two? Obviously, they don't have a lot of picks. Anybody else that you kind of would like to see them target? So there's this uh, – I don't think they're going to have a chance to draft him because my source is saying that Arizona likes him, and the fact that Arizona took already two Russians makes me think that that's going to be what happens next. Uh, but there's this kid who might end up being drafted later in the round, later in the draft that might be a good pick for the Rangers, and that's his name is Vadim Moroz. So – He's this kid who played absolutely like on a nothing team the year last year when he was supposed to be drafted. So he played somewhere in Belarus. Nobody really got to watch him play. It wasn't a big league. He ended up getting brought into the KHL team in Belarus. They saw this kid playing in this minor league. For, it's not the KHL's minors, but it's like the lower level league and the team probably saw him play. And they're like, hey, you know, we'll give you a shot. And this kid absolutely lit it up in the KHL relative to his age group. He scored some highlight reel goals, went through a lot of players, and nobody really knew him because he didn't play anywhere special. So I don't know where he would go because he's also a year older than, you know, the other kids that are eligible in the draft. But if he's available in one of the Rangers' later picks and they select him, they could get themselves a really good right winger that they could let marinate in Russia, bring him in whenever, because he looks like a guy that might be really good value for a late round selection. Um, 
you know, they don't have a second round pick. So a lot of these other guys that I'd really, really like, like for Saul or Lardis would probably not be available for them. So we might just have to look for, you know, some of these other guys that, you know, I, I honestly don't know who would be available in round three for them yet um, to make that decision. But Moroz is my opinion is somebody who would be available. Um, but I also do feel the Rangers are probably going to select whatever is the best goalie available in round three. Um, you know, it, it seems to be their MO, draft a goalie every year or two. Uh, Garand started off well, uh, but you always want somebody there just in case. And there's a couple of really good young goalies like Trey Augustine, but he'd probably go round two. Or Bjarnson might be available in round three. So I, I could see them going with a goalie. Uh, question just off the Rangers uh, angle on this. I'm just curious, uh, based off your model and, and your own thoughts, if um, there's been a pick so far that you find to be especially either surprising or a reach or you think was actually just a bad pick so far, anything on the, along those lines? So um, I mentioned, I, I tweeted it out earlier before the draft, but Tom Olander to Vancouver, um, I was told that, you know, the Canucks really liked him. Uh but he's one of those kind of guys the model doesn't rank high. But, you know, I don't want to blame him fully. This is a guy whose best attribute is the fact that he's a super mobile Swedish defenseman, right? He didn't a lot, so the model won't like his points. And the fact that, you know, we don't we, – we want to integrate uh, scouting reports using, like, AI. Like, oh, he's a good skater, he's a good skater. He's a good, if everybody's saying he's a good skater, we'd bump him up a little bit, ideally. But right now, he's a guy who's ranked, like, a lead – who's given an 11% chance to be an NHLer. Oh, wow. So I think Vancouver reached for him in terms of right now, but we'll see how he does in the NCAA, right? If he's all of a sudden a producer, that's somewhere where our model has a little bit of a blind spot to. The fact mm -hmm. that he was producing and the fact that his best skills are probably something that doesn't always translate to points just yet. Um, But uh, other than that, I mean, I'll, Strammel to Minnesota is a little bit early, and I was really happy about that because it it sort of forced the Rangers to make this higher level of a selection. But because uh, we had him at maybe only, I forgot like twenty five percent or twenty percent to be an NHLer. But yeah, what, what didn't you like about Strammel? Well, he once again he just didn't produce as much. He doesn't have as high end level. He reminds me a lot of actually another Wisconsin center that was selected, uh, maybe earlier than people thought, and Trent Frederick. You know, he's a mean. He's a mean, nasty player, and I think that that would be great for the Rangers to have on their third line. But I don't think that they should have uh, invested a 23rd overall pick for him. If they somehow got, like, pick 38, and even if there would be higher-level guys that are available, I could be okay with him going with Stravel because, you know, he would be a guy who would be an instant fan favorite once people forget who was drafted maybe behind him. Right. Um, so that's the only reason why we didn't like Stravel. Uh He just... You know, it's hard for some for an 18-year-old to produce in the NCAA sometimes. Not everybody's Jack Eichel. So, like, I don't want to say that he's going to be an absolute horrible player. But, you know, when you don't produce that much, it's hard for analytical models to be like, oh, yeah, he's going to be really, really good. Right. Uh, the other guy that I'm surprised hasn't gotten drafted yet is Riley Height. Especially the fact that, you know, he's a, he's a mean center, right? Like, who doesn't want a mean center who plays with an edge, who could still produce, produce almost 100 points, right? Like, 18-year-old being given that much ability and still he's nasty. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, I feel like height is almost like Brennan Offman, but a little bit of better production. Mm -hmm. So 
I feel like, oh, maybe in the future. I was, you know, I didn't expect Perot or Musty to be available at the Rangers pick. So I was sort of already talking myself into it. I'm like, yo, how sick and annoying would a, you know, Othman and Height combination be for the Rangers in the future? So the fact that he's not a bit not selected yet is crazy. Um, I mean, we still have four picks at the time of the recording, but we'll see. Um, I mean, Cristal falling. I mean, I'm not surprised he's five foot eight, but and he's one of those guys who, when you watch him play, you're like, yo, this kid's a superstar. And then the next time that you watch him play, you're like, he's completely invisible. But he's one of you know, he's one of those guys where he's like, oh, he's either scoring like four points a night or zero. So we'll see. Well, speaking of the either four points or zero, Gabriel Perot is the a consistent player. There's no real concern with his consistency or so that's the thing, right? Like the fact when he scored a hundred he scored like a hundred and thirty-two points, right? He's he's pretty much averaging over two points per game. So, like when um, you mentioned what? when I, f- I forget the name when he was alone on that line and not with you know a stack yeah. line, he was still consistent still, and still produced. That's the cool thing. It's just that he played on that line a lot. But look, in his sixty-three games in the United States for the United States Development Program, one hundred thirty-two points in sixty-three games. That's two point one points per game. In the junior, in the USHL, when he played there, he had 45 points in 23 games. So that's almost two points per game. And then when he played for the U18s, he had 18 points in seven games. So he was on that line a lot, but that line completely dominated. And I think if you were, if you dominate at different tournaments or different leagues consistently like that, like two points per game is wild, right? It's not like, oh, he had two points here, but then he dropped to like 1.3 here, which is still awesome. But that's a huge drop off, right? But the fact that he's constantly producing is just obscene. Um, once again, like we just don't know right now. Uh, that, you know, I'm I'm a big, big, you know, I'm a big believer in like hoping that I'm sure the NHL is unfortunately going to lock out soon. But when they do, maybe push the draft back a year to a 19 year old, so you have another extra year to see how a player produces. And if he goes from the juniors to college, you see that growth, and you can make that decision. Right now, nothing about Perot suggests that he's a bad player. They, you know, we everything that we have suggests that he's going to be a maybe even a star. But you know, the fact that he played with this really good line, you know, that's my only reservation, really. Um, until we see him away from there, I can't confidently tell you that because that's always on the back of my mind. But you know, for a producer like that, you 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 take that risk easily, easily just want to put this to bed uh we mentioned obviously often before do you expect him to start on the rangers you know Rasa, or the only way you think is you know cap reasons sure so i think the way that you could see him on the roster is the on who the rangers end up envisioning to be their third line for checking straight ahead line right so in theory Right. If you move like we saw Kreider and Trocek be a really formidable duo, even with Jimmy VC on the right wing. Uh, Othman plays with a little bit of an edge. I think it might be really cool to see maybe that line as like that straight ahead. Yo, I'm in your face. I'm constantly moving forward. That could be really cool. And that might allow Lafreniere a little bit of more top six time. Um, but other than that, you know, like. I don't want to rush Othman. I think he would be a fine third-line guy. Um, but I wouldn't mind if the Rangers go for somebody on, like, a tryout for a little bit 
or one of these injured veterans like JVR or Pacioretty. I mean, if Pacioretty, if, if the Rangers sign him for a one-year deal, say like, yo, dude, you've had blown out knees, blown out ankles. Nobody's going to sign you. You grew up a Rangers fan. We need a right winger. Come here. And then the next time he gets injured, you call up Offman. That's a different situation, right? That that gives you a little bit of a break, but also maybe gets you a veteran that could work out really, really well for the Rangers that could fit into their cap crunch. So that's something that I would do. Um, so one of those two situations, I'd have it. I feel like they don't want him on the fourth line, especially since they have Will Cooley, right? Will Cooley's a guy who you don't mind if he ends up a fourth liner because, you know, he was never a high ceiling player, but he has a booming shot. Maybe he could get a little bit better, but if he ends up a fourth liner, you're still happy because of the way that he plays anyway. I mean, hopefully, Drew, uh, you know, decides that Goodrow, you'll have to add an asset to trade him other than as what we've heard that he'll only trade him with an asset as of now. But again, that's a few reports. I don't know if they're, you know, it's like definite like that. Maybe he's looking for that as of now. But again, I know that's a whole, you know, other 20 minute conversation. I but... mean, look, my thing with Goudreau is that I think he's a cool type of player to have. Regardless of the contract, I know his analytics aren't great, but I think like in terms of like hockey lore, like you always hear about it, you know, like growing up as a hockey fan, like everybody loves that kind of player when he's really, really cheap. My problem with Goudreau is the fact that the Rangers, if they want to keep him, probably envision him as a fourth line center right now. And he doesn't win enough faceoffs. So I can't see them having to pay this much money for a guy on the fourth line who also doesn't win faceoffs. Um, like, you know, 46% is not. It's not what you want from your fourth line ace defensive type player. Um, so I think, you know, if they can find somebody to attach the deal to, I think buying him out, considering his weird buyout contract, might make sense because it kicks the can down for a couple of years. They have a good savings for the next two years. And let's be real, you know, Panarin's contract, Truba's contract would be up soon after that. You know, depending on, I mean, this year is so important to know what the hell is going on with the kids that two years later, you might not care that Goudreau has a you know, cap penalty for the Rangers because they might be tearing out some veterans again and trying to rebuild if it's not working out. So I think they are not going to attach an asset if they don't need to because the the buyout isn't that horrible. It depends whatever that asset is. If it's like a, you know, if it's a third rounder, like let's be honest, who cares? Because the Rangers ended up selecting a guy who has a super high ceiling in this draft right now. Like I always wanted, my my, my philosophy for the Rangers was I don't care if they go for this guy who could be a good third, fourth liner, we have a lot of really good third, fourth liners in our system right now that could come in really soon. Go for the talent. Like I was ready for them to trade whatever they needed to, to move up to select a guy with that much star potential. Like if they selected what, like I know it's not exactly the best strategy, but I think for the Rangers who have a bunch of third, fourth liners, like you don't need a bunch of picks. You, you want the highest chance to be a star player. Um, and, you know, so if they trade a third to get rid of Goudreau instead of buying him out, that's fine. If they buy him out, that's probably okay, too. Um, I like the player, but they need to find they need to find pieces that actually do the job for the Rangers. And that includes winning faceoffs. Got it. Uh, last question. And then obviously we'll wrap this up here. Uh, speaking of faceoffs, who's the one that came uh, that just came to the Rangers that worked with Nick Dowd? Oh, so I don't know if you worked with Nick Dowd. Lavi like made helped make Nick Dowd who he is, from my understanding, because Pekka was more of like a player development guy for them. But I, I said it, man. If Michael Pekka can't teach the Rangers how to win a faceoff, for you sure. could 
to stop saying, yo, the Rangers need to go get a faceoff coach. Right. Michael Pekka won two Selkies, sick at faceoffs, awesome defensive player. Like if he can't help them learn anything, you know, it's the players, right? It's the players that the Rangers just keep selecting that they can't do. I mean, I uh years ago I did a little study and I noticed that most centers actually get better at faceoffs later on in their career, like at 27, 28 years old. And we actually see that a little bit with Kevin Hayes and Phil Keetel getting a little bit better. But once you're there, once you're at 27, whatever your face-off percentage is then, it probably plateaus right there. So, I mean, we'll see if Pekka could help get Philip Keetel to close to 50%, maybe push Zibanejad to be a little bit more consistent. But that's why I think the Rangers should probably get a fourth liner that could, you know, that you feel like you could trust in there, right? Like, the Rangers are obviously not going to be able to outskill a lot of teams, given the cap crunch. So they got to find a way to diversify their lineup with having players who are great at five on five, but also going to be useful for, you know, Laviolette likes to match lines or Laviolette likes to make changes if he needs to. If if we have guys who could win faceoffs, do well five on five on shutdowns and constantly be able to mix up that uh, third, fourth line to make a matchup line, that might be the best bet the Rangers have and hope that their top six could and Fox and Igor could steal the rest of the things. So you need to find a way to get the players who could do a lot of stuff for you, and that includes forechecking hard, defending really well, and at least on the fourth line, like you don't want to, you don't want to lose every faceoff for your fourth line, man. Like they're not always the best players. So if the other team has possession against you all the time, it's it's tough. It's tough. Right, and obviously when you have a coach um, like Laviolette, your assistant coaches, you know. You got to make sure you get them right in Pekka uh, with yeah. the kids. It it really seems like, again, like I'm not going to stand here and pretend that, you know, I know every detail about Pekka, you know, but it just sounds like from what, you know, has been said about him, it's promising, you know, with the kids. Yeah. I mean, honestly, even Muse is great with the kids. I, I feel like all the assistant choices that they made are great. I mean, I always felt the way that Lab, the Laviolette hire is, is more about Laviolette is there to scream at them and get them amped up, uh, you know, set the lines. But the other guys are going to be there for the strategy. And the fact, I, I, I think that's a risk that's worth taking. I mean, obviously, if Tross was available, you'd go with him. If Sully was available, you'd go with him. But I think what the Rangers' choice was, hey, they, they got the guy who yells at them in case they need to, and they got the guys who at least look like smart hockey minds, right? Muse seems really, really on top of it. Pekka and Halsey were great NHLers. I mean... Housley didn't have the best career in Buffalo, but it was Buffalo, right? I don't know exactly what he could have done. I mean, Granado did a great job with the team, but all those guys were also a couple years older than when Phil Housley was there. So it's tough. I mean, but I think I think their choices so far, given the limited options that they can make, have been as good as you could do. Um, we'll see what we'll see how they fill out the rest of the team and. Hopefully it'll be with players who could be useful in more ways than one, especially for how cheap they might have to be. All right, Josh, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Really, really appreciate it. Obviously, you know, 1030 at night. Um, And I'm sure you've been very busy, especially, you know, with the draft and all that. Uh, um, Do you want to uh, obviously punch in, you know, what you've been doing and all that and your Twitter handle? So, yeah, my Twitter handle is J-O-S-H underscore K-H-A-L-F-I-N. One of the things that I've been doing is um, 
I mentioned it earlier in the group, but uh, me and my boy Chase and my boy Max, we've been working on a new prospect model. Uh, that prospect model tries to incorporate some other stuff that maybe um, hope maybe some other models don't do. We look at how the leagues change over time. So the NHL coefficient is not always the same because, hey, what if one year in the OHL you have 100 more goals? It's not fair to use that same coefficient every year if this year was a much higher level of scoring, right? It's almost like inflation and deflation. Um, the other situation that we use is we're going to eventually be able to incorporate, um, you know, scouting reports into our model as well, because Chase a couple of month, a couple of years ago, or if not last year, did a lot of his draft biases where he looked at, oh, if a guy's labeled as safe, how much earlier does he go in the draft, you know, versus a guy who's not labeled as safe. So we're going to be able to incorporate all of that as well into our model. Um, you could get my little visuals off the link, oh, off my pinned tweet, uh, on Twitter. Uh, it's the draft digest thing on Tableau where it's a little bit, maybe I'm going to probably post a video about how to use it, but the custom player window is what I like to do the most is where, you know, if you're a guy who thinks, well, why am I comparing this player who scored a hundred points to another guy who scored a hundred points when one guy is six foot four and the other guy is five foot eight. So what I like to do is I give the user the opportunity to make their own ranges for their age, for the height, for the weight, for the point levels. And then you could sort of get your own comparisons as opposed to you just taking my word for it. Oh, this guy scored 100 points. This other guy scored 100 points. This other guy scored 100 points. They're all the same. And um, we're, we're, we don't plan on doing that. We, we know that everybody's scouting staff is different. And let's be real here. The difference between a 60% chance to be an NHLer and a 70% chance to be an NHLer is easy for us when we're like, oh, I hope he gets one of these 10 guys, but the NHL team has to make one pick. So we give you the opportunity to see maybe who's in the range rather than just like, oh, these guys all post very similar numbers. You get to see like the whole spectrum of guys that are on that level based on what you think is important. If you, if, you know, if you want to widespread the heights, right, you want to look at guys who sub sub six feet, and over six feet, you could. Or if you want a guy who's just like two inches apart, like, hey, I'm only looking at guys who are between 5'11 and six feet because this player is six feet tall. So you could go do that and you get your own comparisons that way too. So Very cool. Yeah, so uh, that's something that we, you know, allow people to do and make their own analyses based on how they want. And maybe then, you know, you could go on YouTube and look at scouting videos that way. So you could try to see if any of this makes sense. We don't try to tell you straight up like, oh, this is great or this is not great. We give you the range of options for you to choose from. Yeah. And I'm sure every one of us and all the Rangers fans are going to go on YouTube right now and check up all yeah. those highlights and, you know, Yo, go nuts about so, it. And, you know, there's so many. it's going to be tough. There's so many. This kid's wild. All right. All right. Hey, Thanks, you guys. Josh. Oh,